0: I'm your host, Dr. Ned Hoke, a veteran in natural methods healthcare, speaking with you today from Sonoma Valley, California, for an hour of health topic, digestion, and discussion. Please stay with us. And welcome back to Health Matters listeners. Thank you for joining us again this lovely day. And yes, this is Health Matters, and of course, Given all that is in the world of health lately, we certainly have been getting a lot of news about that. And last week, we did have a very important person from Los Angeles talking about how, well, sad to say, how poorly the federal government was standing up to the the challenges that were before them. But the good news, of course, is that things are unfolding and continue to improve, presumably in that area. Today we're going to be talking about a health sub- subject, but not the coronavirus primarily. We're going to be joined by uh, Judy Foreman, <clears throat> who's a New England-based and Harvard University-based um, health columnist, actually, and she's written a book called "Exercise is Medicine, and um uh, For most of us, aging is the most unthinkable prospect. It represents the penultimate phase of life, a slow downward slide into decrepitude, dependence, and disability, and one we prefer not to think about. So afraid are we of the inescapable effects of the passage of time that massively lucrative industries have sprung up to slow things down, providing an endless array of creams, salves, medications, remedies, all promising to do the impossible stop time in its tracks. But in investigative health journalist Judy Foreman's new book, Exercise is Medicine, How Physical Activity Boosts Health and Slows Aging, she argues that the best defense we have against the ravages of father time is possibly the simplest exercise. Through extensive research into revolutionary biology, exercise physiology, and the new field of geroscience, Uh, Foreman uncovers exactly why exercise is so powerful. The mechanisms now being discovered that account for the vast and varied effects of exercise all over the body. One of the most eye-opening chapters in exercise as medicine is Sitting Kills, which provides a comprehensive analysis of just how harmful sitting truly is for your body. Synthesizing a wealth of information from countless different research studies, Foreman concludes that sitting is so lethal and so common that it now accounts for a dust estimated 5.3 million deaths worldwide. Worldwide, excuse me. <clears throat> if inactivity were decreased just by uh, 10 to 25 percent, more than 1.3 million deaths could be averted across the world. Uh, These facts point to the assertion that it's not the passage of time that makes us fall apart, but the lack of exercise. So that's what their primal literature says, and it's pretty much the book delivers on that promise. Uh, Before Judy, who will be with us shortly here, uh, joins us, I have to read our our, uh, reminder of the day from Lawrence Ferlinghetti. From 2007, he says... Pity the nation whose people are sheep, whose shepherds mislead them. Pity the nation whose leaders are liars, whose sages are silenced, whose bigots haunt the airwaves. Pity the nation that raises not its voice except to praise conquerors and acclaim the bully as hero and aims to rule the world with force and by torture. Pity the nation that knows no other language but its own and no other culture but its own. Pity the nation whose breath is money and sleeps the sleep of the too well-fed. Pity the nation. Oh, pity the people who allow their rights to erode and their freedoms to be washed away. My country, tears of thee, sweet land of liberty. That's from a gift from Lawrence Ferlinghetti. And he was um, building on uh Gibran's uh, basis for that that I think pity the nation was probably something from Gabron. Anyway, um, uh, Judy should be with us here shortly, and while we're waiting for Judy to join us, let me um, actually just go right into her book a little bit. Um, and it is it is uh, Oxford University Press, very high toned, uh, and uh, and very comprehensively done. So let's dive right in until she joins us here a little bit so she says let's see well she starts out uh, talking about aging why do we age she asks aging is one of the deepest mysteries of the universe after all what's the point once you've passed your genes to the next generation why stick around why take up space and use food and other scarce resources It's the young who need those things to live to reproductive age. So why do old animals even exist, or old people? And speaking as a clinician, one of the things that I think haunts many of my clients over 50 or over 60, more so even, and then older still, is that question, why am I still here? What What is the point of my life anymore? And so on and so forth. And it turns out there are some answers to that. And there's actually some good answers. And she goes on. Evolution has no reason to favor long life. Stephen Austed, Austed, a former lion tamer who's now a biogerontologist at the University of Alabama at Birmingham, points out. Quite the contrary, he He says. Evolution favors the early copious reproduction at the expense of later life survival. And here's our guest. Welcome to Health Matters. Thank you for joining us. Hello, Judy. Are you there? Hello, hello. Hello, Judy.
1: Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me?
0: Now I can hear you. We had a little, okay. We had a little moment of whatever it is. Okay. So, well, thank you for uh, uh, taking some time for us. Um, I was just reading from your book, start- starting with Chapter 1, Aging, and I gave our listeners a little bit of warm-up in terms of some of your enthusiastic uh, claims about how exercise is a is a... Kind of the solution, really, as you call it, the magic bullet. Right. So, so uh, now let's. But we're going, and we're going to get. Is we're going to dive into this book as deeply as we can, in the the time we have. But I kind of want to start, Judy, asking you um, maybe a little bit more personally. What? How did you get started as a health journalist?
1: Oh, as a health journalist. Uh, well, that goes way back. Well, yeah, um
0: it does, yeah.
1: Well, I, I almost, I, I assume we're on the air. <laughs> yes, we are. We're
0: live and we're happening.
1: Uh, okay. Uh, in college, which was a while ago, I almost majored in biology, and then ah. I got sidetracked by psychology and anthropology. Ah. But I, I was interested in science. And then I found myself, when I would pick up Time magazine, flipping quickly to the medical session, really? section, mm-hmm. and I thought, hmm. I think I'm interested in this. And then many years ago, uh, I was already at the Boston Globe and I think it was 1982 they started a science section and I signed up. I, I have to admit there were not a lot there was not a lot of competition. <laughs> not that many people wanted to be science writers, but I did. Oh. And it's But not very, not
0: necessarily only medical science, but science broadly.
1: Science in general, yes. Right, I did not right. touch astrophysics though, I have to say I okay. stuck with, Biology and medicine,
0: Okay.
1: Um, and then for a year, actually, I, I got a night science fellowship at MIT, which was wonderful. It's for journalists, right. and you could take any course you want in the whole whole of MIT and actually Harvard as well. So that was that was fabulous.
2: Wow! Um,
1: and then I, after I came back, I after a year or two, I think can't remember, um, I became the health columnist, and I was eventually syndicated and. Wow. Um,
2: wow.
1: That kind of was running in parallel with uh, my having been athletic all my life uh, and interested uh-huh. in, uh, you know, what what it was actually doing in the body. I mean, everybody uh, knows that exercise is good for you, sure. um, and we know it's good for your heart. But beyond that, um, we don't really know. So I decided for this book to plunge in and see what actually is happening in the body and why is exercise so good for you. And it was... I, you know, I was already uh, converted to exercise, <laughs> but I could not believe how many different molecular things get triggered by exercise that are really beneficial from from toe to to eyebrows or whatever. I mean, it's it's quite amazing.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, as looking at your book broadly, one of the things that I scratched my head, I wonder, I said, is are, are we on the way to a WGBH? Series where Judy's standing up and there's these, <laughs> the big screens behind you and you're pointing out all this. In other words, are, are, are we are we headed because this is such a thorough kind of updating to many of the questions that one might have about the topic? Um, it does seem like it's sort of almost a setup for. So is it a setup for going something else? Is it is it, is it the beginning of something else or is it sort of just another book?
1: Oh, it's definitely not just another book. I mean, I do have two books uh, that I did before this, right. um, both of them about chronic pain. Right. But I certainly wouldn't consider this just another book. I- I'd love for there to be a major motion picture or TV series or something. So far, as uh, as far as I know that's not in the works, uh-huh. but um, uh-huh. I wish it were because... Um, or I wish at least people would buy the book and kind of take it to heart. Right. You know, we keep hearing... All these statistics, something like 70% of the U.S. population is either obese or overweight. Yeah. And, you know, that in itself is, is a big enough reason to exercise, as if exercise weren't doing all these other good things for our brains, et cetera. Right. I mean, we really are. I mean, right now, all we can think about is the coronavirus. But right. we really have um, a, sort of an epidemic of unfitness, right, and right. Um, that that ultimately may pro- prove more important for the country.
0: Well, that's that's of course why I did, exactly kind of you, why I felt that way. I thought to myself, "My goodness, this this is this is the message that we need to hear for this seventy percent of the people obesity kind of thing," and it's it seems. Um, so, it, 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 and at the same time, I also recognize that I'm a clinician, a practicing physician, and so uh, of, of Oriental medicine, actually. And, and um, but still, the majority of my clients that are the, the ones that are 60 and above, uh, more, more than some. But all of them are have questions of the kind that you sort of ask rhetorically and then answer in your book. And so, I thought it struck me this is definitely uh, the kind of a text that would. Easily, you know, work its way forward into the uh, a public exposition beyond the book covers, you might say. And I, of course, i was thinking since WGBH is right there, right close, yes. close, close at hand, it would be a, a good thing for that. And I, I maybe I write them a letter and tell them to do it. So, um, so to get into your, uh, to get into the details a little bit. Um, now, just one more little question about yourself. Did, now, you're a Wellesley girl, so I guess maybe are you a New England person as well?
1: <laughs> yes, I'm a Wellesley grad right. woman. Whatever. Right. Uh, I'm sorry. Well, my I mother grew up called outside, her I, outside New York City, but I've lived uh, when I came to Wellesley to college. Right. uh I basically I went in the Peace Corps for three years ah. in Brazil, but after that, I've been in Cambridge and Boston, and and uh, now in Newton for my whole life. And right. it's, it's we're doing okay.
0: <laughs> right. Well, the way you the way yeah the way you write it or the it looks like you're definitely a bound up to that you know. Cambridge Nexus, you might call it.
1: I I am. I didn't right. realize that showed, but it's true. <laughs> well,
0: I, I I had the good fortune of of teaching in New New Haven for a while, and I I come from a long line of Connecticut Yankees, so I'm I'm, I'm familiar with the with the odor, you might say. Oh, uh, that's great, Yes. <laughs> so any, so anyway, coming to your book, I, I guess what I was hoping we would do is kind of go through. Uh, actually, the way you start, I'm just trying not turning to turn the page that I wanted to get to because you start and you do it, you, you kind of lay it out and you say, well, like chapter one through chapter thir- 13, you, you kind of give us a little synopsis of the chapter. And so, what I thought I'd do, um, if that's okay, would just sort of say a couple words about what you say about chapter one and then kind of push your button and say say a little bit more about that so let's you say you strongly suggest starting chapter one on the biology of aging and and so on so let me push your button on that and 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 give us a little kind of short elevator synopsis of what chapter one is about sure i mean
1: what what People really probably need to know if they haven't gotten the book yet is um, I, I write every chapter so the easy stuff is first and then uh, if you hate science or something you can right. um, stop reading when you, when you find it too difficult but basically uh, it's pretty accessible all the way through but the the heavier duty science is toward the end of every chapter so uh-huh. you can at least start every chapter. Mm. Um, the book is really about aging and exercise, so I decided I would start the whole thing with um, trying to understand what aging actually is, and um, to my surprise, I learned that it is not inevitable. I mean, you know, as we kind of chug along through life and look at older people, we tend to think, well, they're, they're aging, and they're, they're looking like it. They're kind of stooped over, and they've got all these sort of medical problems and um, they're basically deteriorating and that does happen. But it turns out um, in terms of evolutionary biology that aging is actually kind of an accident. Nature, i.e., Evolution did not plan for us to have all these bodily ills as we get older. I mean, for one thing, nature doesn't plan anything. Um, But we're not, you know, supposed to have all these problems as we get older. There's nothing in our genes that is supposed to make these bad things happen. Um, so that was interesting to me. And some animals don't even age at all, which was very
0: Which was a, which, the hydra you were talking about, right?
1: Yeah, they, some of these little sea creatures, uh, that means their risk of death is the same at one day old and 1,000 days old or 1,000 wow. months old, which was, which was pretty interesting. Wow. Um, and that's basically, uh, the, kind of the gist of the beginning of that chapter, then I go into um, what was really interesting to me, which is that um, we we're we're
0: need, need. Excuse And we're going to need to hold that thought. We need to take a little break. Oh, we're, sure. We're talking to Judy Foreman, the author of a new book called Exercises Medicine, How Physical Activity Boosts Health and Slows Aging. So for a lot of our listeners who are interested in this topic, please stay tuned. We will be back with you in just a moment.
3: You're listening to KSVY, your voice of the valley. This KSVY weather report is brought to you by SonomaFun.com. That's where you'll find Savvy Sonoma Valley, monthly digital guide to all that's happening in the valley of the moon. That's Savvy Sonoma Valley at SonomaFun.com. It's Thursday, March 12th, 2020, and you are listening to your Voice of the Valley, KSVY, 91.3 and .org all around the world. Outstanding weather. We've got lots of sunshine today. Clear skies. The high, about 75 degrees. Tonight, mostly clear skies. Low dip into 42 on Friday. Look for lots of sunshine. A little cooler, the high near 72. No rain Friday night. Low around 41 with a slight chance of showers after 11 a.m. on Saturday, but then becoming mostly sunny and the high near 59.
0: Welcome back to Health Matter. Dr. Ned Hoke today, joined by Judy Foreman, the author of a book, a new book called "Exercise is Medicine, How Physical Activity Boosts Health and Slows Aging. What an interesting topic. So we were just Disgu- dis- discussing the, the sort of the latter part of, of your intention for Chapter 1? I, I cut you off. I'm sorry. Oh,
1: no problem. Uh, yes, in 2013, um, a team of European scientists boiled down a lot of the research and uh essentially said that there are nine major cellular and molecular hallmarks of aging. Mm-hmm. And the good news on this is that each of these can be slowed down by exercise. And the bad news is that um, our all-too-common westernized lifestyle, too much food and too little exercise, actually speeds up, accelerates these basic markers of aging.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I can list the nine if you want. They're kind of a mouthful, but uh, no, people, no,
0: they're, they're, Yeah, they are, but give us a sample. Give us one or two. Okay. Yeah,
1: yeah, I'll just give you a couple. Um, One thing is our genome, I know all our collection of genes, becomes more unstable. Mm -hmm. We lose um, the tips of our chromosomes, which are called telomeres. They get shorter and shorter as we age. We have big um, changes in our epigenetics, and epigenetics are changes to the DNA uh, that that influence whether a gene is turned on On or off. It's different from a mutation. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: all sorts of other things, like our stem cell supply conks out. Our mitochondria, which are the little powerhouses inside our cells, kind of also poop out and the evidence is incredibly strong for exercise uh, slowing down the epigenetic clock and also revving up mitochondria these little powerhouses mm-hmm. and um there's some very interesting studies on that mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. for if you want uh one of the processes of aging that I talk about in the book is something called uh, hang on to your hats here folks it's called DNA methylation which mm-hmm. is just means a chemical process where these little uh, chunks of chemicals called a, D, a methyl group land on various spots in the DNA and tell a gene to turn on or off. And essentially the more methylation, the older you are. It's, it's kind of a measure like a thermometer or something of uh, how, how old you are. And there was a fantastic study in Sweden a few years ago where they took a bunch of young men and put them on exercise bikes in the lab And before they had them start up, they took a muscle biopsy, a little sample of muscle tissue from each of their legs, left and right legs, and same for all the guys. Then they had them work out in the gym for 45 minutes, three or four times a week for several months. Then they took more muscle biopsies. But the co- cool thing was they made them use only one leg to pedal the, the exercise bike with. Mm. So only one leg got the exercise. And the DNA methylation pattern ended up totally different in the leg that got exercise from the leg that just sat there. And in, in essence, um, the exercise leg was physiologically younger than the non-exercise leg.
0: And this this, this has got to just ring the ring the bell of the of the of the the, the book that's pretty much Absolutely. I mean, it, it, it's just i can't imagine a, a more straightforward ding that would say guess what ladies and gentlemen this is real stuff this this exercise right
1: that's exactly right it's it's the perfect controlled experiment cuz right. it's the same person same food same sleep pattern Same everything. The only difference is one leg got exercised and one didn't.
2: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And
1: interestingly, the same pattern shows up with um, mitochondria. The muscles that you use end up with a lot more mitochondria to make the energy we need than the muscles that you don't use. Mm -hmm. So it's just these experiments are are just brilliant because, as you say, they're just totally clear. You can't really argue with the methodology.
0: Well, and, of course, what... what we've heard all these years in our our teachers and parents and our, you know, other guides that once or another say that they, they, they use it or lose it thing is yeah. we, we, we needed, we needed to put some more, you might say muscle or more facts or more <laughs> science or whatever it is. We, we needed to do what you're doing here, Judy. I think we needed to do the science and actually find out is that in fact true. And exactly as you say, it, it, it guess what, ladies and gentlemen, it is true. It and, is and, true. And when you, if somebody like myself, who's been in the medical field for now for a little, like 40 years, I mean the whole business of, of what well, a lot of what what you write about it's wonderful to see uh, many of the facts. Of course, I'm familiar with, but what you've done is you've here in this book is you've brought us up to date and you've given us some some new data and some new some confirmations of things that we've been either suspecting or we've had earlier evidence of. But you what you've done is you've you've like you really brought us right into the 21st century. So I really do I do thank you for that.
1: Well, thank you. And it's, you know, it's an interesting point that we haven't actually are always known. I mean, we've sort of intuited it, but uh, it wasn't until the 50s that a British epidemi- epidemiologist named Jeremy Morris did this uh, sort of a breakthrough study on London um, Bus drivers and bus conductors, you know, right. they have those double-decker buses in, in London. Right. And the driver would be sitting there all day just driving around, and the conductor would be running up and downstairs getting people's tickets and money. And, and they, they studied the hearts of the conductors compared to the drivers. Mm. And the conductors had far superior cardiac health because they were getting exercise, and mm-hmm. the drivers were just sitting there, and the conductors were getting the exercise. That was the first big um, research um, effort that really showed specifically how how different people who get exercise are mm-hmm. from people mm-hmm. who don't.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, we, we, we're going to skip a little bit here, um, but you're... The the cha- the chapter on sitting is mm-hmm. is something that's so powerful to so many of uh, so many of my clients who one way or another whether they're professors uh, people that have to sit and write books or whatever it is <laughs> uh, which of course is there you are <laughs> yeah there I am yeah there you are too but anyway I mean I all the people who are chained to the desk for for what would seem very good reasons you you really lay it out and you you give it you know double barreled attention in terms of what sitting does so maybe you could you could give us your synopsis of that if you would
1: sure well <laughs> i titled the the chapter sitting kills because it it really does i mean um, I was surprised to learn that um, physical activity is not—it's not just that that's good for you. It's that a sedentary lifestyle is actually seriously bad as a totally separate, independent variable. And um, there was some bad news that I encountered with this. Like there was a big study in 2012 of about uh, 250,000 healthy American adults and they found that the more time that was spent sitting was linked to premature uh death from heart disease and cancer even if those people exercised more than seven hours a week. Seven hours a week is obviously an hour or so a day, but even if you do this, which right. I have to confess I do,
2: <laughs> right. if
1: I sit watching TV or sit at my computer straight for seven hours, I still have a 50% increased risk of all-cause mortality. So it's really, um, if, you, if you have a sedentary job, and so many people do, you've got to get up like every hour or so and move around. I mean, even two minutes of um, getting up uh, every hour or so really, really helps. But it's, it's hard to remember that. I mean, some people sit there... Uh, Fitbit or their smartwatch or something to to buzz them and tell them to stand up and go get a drink of water or something. Right. So it's it's really important to not just plain sit.
0: Yeah, well, well, you'd, you'd almost think this is a you know we're talking we're talking in the time of the corona, coronavirus and so you think well that's a big deal. Well, it, so is this sitting and, yes. and you know and 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 so you'd almost think speaking of ep- epidemics, it would seem like our culture has arrived at a point of 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 a of a, a a pandemic of sitting in a way and, Absolutely. and you know and and so in a sense it's it's it, it to me it seems like it's right up there in the same in the same zone to so to speak because and when again one of the things that uh, the, the blessings of your text here is that you not only do you, are you a, a vigorous advocate of of coming to grips with that fact but you've you've got quite a lot to say about it in a broader sense in a in a science sense that you really you really add meat to that particular bone so for listeners who Actually, some of our listeners may be uh, sitting now. Um, and, and by the way, I should let our listeners know that we will have a call in time. For, should you have a wish to uh, inquire of uh, Judy Foreman uh, about how exercise might be of, of uh, related to their their life or their how it might be of value to you, please feel free to give us a call here at Health Matters Radio, 707-933-9133. We'll be taking calls through the end of the hour. So, uh now moving on, now there's there's so much to say that one could go on with sitting, but I think we've kind of made that point really. But you say the the, the most important chapter you point out is is the one on the heart. So let's let's go there. Let's let's see. You say the heart is the most one of the most important chapters in the book. If you read only one chapter, read this. Exercise has the most has many of the most important benefits to the cardiovascular system. Sh- should get off the couch, etc. So. Walk into that area for us a little bit, Judy, and you, you, you very strikingly and, and very b- b- brightly point out a lot of current science on the situation of the cardiovascular and cardiorespiratory system. So walk us through a little deeply into that area if you would.
1: Sure, and if we have time, uh, the other really important chapters involve the brain. Yes, uh, we will get to that. <laughs> <laughs> we will get yes, to if, that if we get to that. That'd be great. No, we will get um, to that.
0: No, that's 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 on my list as well. Please.
1: Okay, there there is just no question that people who are physically active. Um, are, have much better cardiac health. The reason uh, exercise is so important for the heart is exercise is the biggest killer of Americans. So anything you can do to reduce the risk of the biggest killer uh, has a huge effect on your life, your healthy lifespan and, and your risk of death. And overall, basically, people who are physically fit um, have a much lower, like a third, lower risk of all-cause mortality, uh, which means death from any cause uh than people who are not fit. There, there are so many studies um, showing this, that it's uh, it's absolutely ironclad. I mean, I've been a medical writer for God knows how many decades at right, this point. Right. And um, usually you're writing a story that, you know, on the one hand this and on the other hand that, with exercise and physical activity, the data line up just incontrovertibly right. that exercise is a huge benefit for the heart. It, in so ma- In so many different ways, you know, it makes your heart more efficient it can pump blood uh, more blood with every every pump every beat uh, it makes your arteries more elastic uh, it reduces the inflammation that, Underlies atherosclerosis I mean it's just a whole series of things and it, it increases right. what they call heart rate variability which is how how quickly your heart can respond to like an increased need like suddenly you have to drag your kid and run across the street because a car is coming um, I mean the ability of your heart to uh, respond to all the stresses that you, you put on it is vastly improved by by exercise and one of and the, excuse me, could on. I just add no please you don't have to be American or to do it, mm-hmm. doing just the minimum that the government recommends is mm-hmm. enough to really improve your heart function. And that minimum is 30 minutes a day for five days a week of, of moderate exercise. And moderate means, you know, your, your heart rate is up, but uh, and you're breathing a bit fast, but you can still talk. You can't sing, but you can talk. So it's not that hard to get that much exercise.
0: Well, and of course, the, the heart is a story that is pretty widely known. And so you you haven't told us uh, really in this moment, anyway. And in, in your book, even you've kind of updated us. But we've been hearing this message over and over and over again. But one of the things that I know my clients don't hear, for instance, in what you do write about, is that you say that it turns out is I think it was Bruce uh, Lieberman, Lieberman, yeah, talked about how the heart stiffens. Begin, the heart and the arteries stiffen beginning in the 40s and 50s. And so one of the things that for myself as a practitioner that's, that's, that's hard for my clients to understand is there really is – a kind of declining physiology that, that that is has to do with that just that something that simple physiologic sort of stiffening and, and the narrowing of the vascular system so that the heart actually has to work harder. So as a consequence there's a there's a, a a natural point where that sort of comes on and of course what you also write in is I remember if I remember correctly, is that people who are marathon and exercisers from from day one they don't they don't encounter that stiffening he I guess he reports that the that by keeping your exercise at a high level now this is these are extraordinarily high level, but at a high level you literally can 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 uh forestall the development of that stiffening and one of the like i say coming back to my own, my patients in terms of my own experience as a clinician is that is that stiffening and that loss of of function is is not understood and, and um, actually there was a, there was a harvard Hearth, Harvard health, health letter that came out was a t- that had stiff heart as its, as its lead line, and I used to copy that and I gave that to all kinds of people because people don't realize that actually there is a, a a rather normal transition to the heart and to the vascular system to the arteries that has to do with that stiffness. so do you have anything to add to that, Judy?
1: Yeah, um, just, just a, a slight correction, it, uh, Bruce Spiegelman, who's a fabulous researcher, right. uh, he, he, uh, is the star of my chapter on mitochondria, the person you're thinking of, uh, in terms of our heart, our hearts and our arteries starting to shrink and stiffen in our 40s and 50s, right. that is a, a doctor named Benjamin Levine, Levine, who, it is, yeah. yes, he's at the University of Texas Southwestern um, Medical Center, right. uh, both great guys, just, just a clarification, but sure. yes, he has, um. I have a direct quote from him. I'm looking at it right here in my book. He says, as we hit our 40s and 50s, things go south. Our hearts and arteries <laughs> right. start to shrink and stiffen, right. which makes hearts less able to pump blood to the muscles. But exercise is the, the remedy for this, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. as we've made quite clear.
2: Right, <laughs> right, right.
0: Okay, so continuing down this road now, I think we can't we can't walk past mitochondria and, and, and not allow there are listeners to really you've mentioned it a little bit in the beginning of what we talked about i think but i think the the dynamism of what the mitochondria uh, are doing and that's one of the things actually for me too and what was a pleasure to read was the you know further ex, ex, explanation about the nature of mitochondria and how that on a molecular level the mitochondria is such a substantial player in terms of the aging issue so say a few words about that if you would
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, this has been um, observed uh, in rats for a long time that, you know, a a lot of uh, rats in experimental labs are put in little cages with uh, those little tiny uh, treadmills, those circular uh, running things for rats. And rats love to run. When left to their own devices, they'd rather run than just sit around, Um, (laughs) which is interesting if you could translate that to all the rest of us mammals. But um, it's very interesting and here's where you were thinking of, of Bruce Spiegelman mm-hmm. um, when when a muscle contracts uh, it, uh, sends out um, a chem- produces a chemical called um, PGC one alpha. You don't have to remember that, but basically, that the gene that puts out that that protein, that chemical, uh, tells other genes in the uh, in the nucleus of the cell and in the mitochondria to make new. Um, chunky things that fit on the mitochondrial membrane. And those things uh, comprise the electron transport chain, which people may have heard of. And that is the actual mechanism that produces energy. Energy is not just a, a feeling, it's a, it's an actual molecule called ATP. Adenosine, adenosine
0: triphosphate. triphosphate. Adenosine triphosphate, exactly.
1: Exactly. <laughs> so a contracting muscle through this whole chemical chain of events, Ends up making more uh, mitochondria, which actually, literally, produces more energy.
0: And of course, it's very
1: inspiring when you think about it. Exactly.
0: Well, particularly for our aging uh, listeners, and for myself included, uh, the 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 business that that the that you can actually influence the development of your energy is really actually a wonderful. Prospect. And, it is. It's yeah. very
1: encouraging. I mean, many a day when I've thought, "Oh, I don't really want to exercise." I've thought, "Well, I think I want to crank up my mitochondria, and that's that gets me going." <laughs> there you go.
0: Now let's roll. Let's roll on toward uh, the the issue of chapters eight and nine. You talked about how exercise and mood were the biggest uppers for you. So, talk, roll down that road if you would a little bit for us. <laughs>
1: Sure. I mean, the brain is obviously so important that I devoted two chapters um, to exercise and the brain. One chapter is on cognition, which means thinking, sort of intellectual processes, planning, all that stuff. The other is on exercise and mood. And what really struck me, which I certainly hadn't known before I did the research for this book, is that the same chemical, the same brain-made chemical is involved in in both improving mood and in improving cognition.
2: Mm. When you
1: exercise, Mm. Mm -hmm. your brain pumps out a chemical that uh, some scientists call miracle grow for the brain, (laughs) uh, like the thing you put on plants to help them grow. Um, The actual name of this substance is called BDNF, which stands for brain-derived neurotrophic factor. That just means it's a chemical made in the brain that acts on nerves. So what happens is you exercise, your brain starts pumping out this miracle grow, and that chemical goes to the hippocampus, which is the main memory center in the brain, and it turns out also to be very important for mood. And um, when you're when you're pumping out this BDNF, um, it has a powerful effect in both preventing and treating depression, because this miracle growth turns out to work in close harmony with a chemical you probably have heard of called serotonin, and um, that's one of, that's thought to be now the main reason that exercise is so powerful for for mood is that it uh, it really does essentially make the brain. Uh, more um, able to cope with bad feelings and enhance good feelings. And the same uh, basic chemical pathway is involved in exercise and cognition. This BDNF, this brain derived uh, miracle grow, uh, tremendously preserves and actually increases the size of the hippocampus. Mm. And this is so powerful, I just want to slip in one more thing. Um, Exercise turns out to be the number one modifiable risk factor for uh, preventing Alzheimer's. Mm that's huge that's the best thing you can do more than all these little brain games on the computer. the best thing you can do is exercise and there was one study from from Canada that has just stuck in my mind that if everyone uh, who is currently inactive became active, we could reduce uh we could eliminate one in every seven cases of alzheimer's wow so that's huge absolutely that's yeah. absolutely huge so
0: so just to, to step aside for a minute uh, and thinking about inspiration. In other words, that there's a lot of facts here that you have. And then there's the, the, and oops, I've just noticed that I had walked by our next public service break time. I need to take another break. Sorry. I'm speaking okay. with G- Judy Foreman. Ex- exercises medicine, how physical activity boosts health and slows aging. We'll be... Uh, Your your calls are still welcome, 707-933-9133. We'll be back with you in just a moment. Please stay tuned.
3: Programming for KSVY is brought to you in part by the Tina Schoen Group, located at Sotheby's International Realty. And this health moment is brought to you in part by Sonoma Valley Hospital.
1: It's important to take an active role in your health care. Research shows that patients who have good relationships with their physicians and communicate well are more often satisfied with their care. To accomplish this, be proactive in providing your doctor with personal information. Then listen carefully and ask questions if needed. Don't leave your appointment until you feel you understand everything that was discussed. Make notes if you need to, and follow up later if you have more questions. Your symptoms change, or you did not get the results you expected. Clear and honest communication with your physician is important to getting the care you need.
0: <clears throat> Welcome back to Health Matters. Dr. Ned Hoke today, joined by Judy Coleman, the author. Coleman. Foreman, thank you for correcting me. No problem. Uh, Judy uh, Foreman, there's another Foreman who actually, another Harvard person, but we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. Exercise is medicine, how physical activity boosts health and slows aging. So we were talking about the consequence of exercise in the brain and in cognition. And so, and you were just mentioning how Alzheimer's could be prevented were there corrective behaviors in terms of exercise. So let's let's talk for a minute about, like I say, I meant to sort of stand aside from the book for just a second and just sort of inquire of you. I mean, surely given a book, this kind of a book, people are going to say to you, Judy, how are you going to create inspiration other than with facts? In other words, ah. This is fact, 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 and, and a lot of it's very inspiring fact, and a lot of it's also... That's um, uh, uh, true as well, but it's and it's inspiring. But what what are you telling people that your uh, response to how to how to kind of awaken the inspiration in the in the minds of of the people that you're around and who who care about this topic?
1: Well, one thing uh, doctors could play a, a bigger role in this. They could. Um, there's there has been a movement afoot to have fitness be considered a vital sign, like blood pressure Mm -hmm. and heart rate and Mm -hmm. stuff, Mm -hmm. Um, because if doctors, and you wouldn't even need a fancy gym, you could just get people to walk 100 yards down the hall and see how how well they do and how fast they can do it. I mean, doctors could play a bigger role in encouraging people to exercise, but basically it's it's up to us as individuals, and um, I know some people absolutely hate it or don't think it's important or don't feel like they don't have time. Um, the time issue is, is uh, one important thing that um, I can resolve for you mm-hmm. right now, <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay. which
1: is um, for one thing, we all have more time than we think we have. There was a big study, a story in the New York times about a month ago, uh, based on a study of 30,000 plus adult Americans, and they did, it was a so-called time-use study, mm-hmm. and they asked people how they spent their time, and obviously the majority of it was work, sleep, getting dinner, doing the laundry, stuff that you sort of have to do, but almost everybody had four or five hours a day where they actually had a control over their time. They could choose what to do. Mm. People weren't choosing to exercise, but those hours are actually there,
2: mm.
1: The other thing is, and I go into this um, in the book, too, is um, a a relatively new idea called high-intensity interval training, or HIT, and that is a technique where you uh, work really hard, say, on a treadmill or running on the road or swimming or whatever, biking, whatever your thing is. You go, like, all out for 30 seconds and then take a three or four-minute slow down, or, you know, just essentially almost resting. And back and forth a few times. Uh, and you can get a really big workout in uh, – in, you know, 10 minutes or even less. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, and there's various protocols for how to do that in my book and also on the web. Mm-hmm. Just look up HIT, H-I-I-T, High Intensity Interval Training. And that is huge because you can get your workout done in a lot less time. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of motivating people, um, I think a lot of things that help are like making a commitment with a friend or uh, getting a dog and absolutely saying we're going to go for a walk at 9 o'clock this morning or, you know, 5 o'clock tonight. Uh, committing to another person or an animal that you're going to go take a walk and a brisk walk. I mean, that can help because you don't want to let your friend or your dog down classes help doing things in groups um all those kind of psychological things can really help people uh get going but but it is hard for some people
0: um well my my experience of many of my clients of course the reason they're a lot of times the reason they're my clients is because they're not doing exactly what we're talking about you know so so but as someone myself who i sent you a little message before we talked today and i said well i i was this you know, the son and grandson of sports, at, you know, championship sports at, athletes. So I grew up in an atmosphere where that kind of intense physical activity was just a normal, that was kind of what you did with your life. But right. so many of my clients have never had no physical culture or background. And so yeah. what, so I, what I've spent the last 40 years uh, saying, well, try a yoga class, try a light stretching class, try this, try that. Yeah. And, and little by little, they, Sometimes they do a little bit, but it's still, it's just, it's like, it's like pulling teeth because because people are just sort of, they never, they don't, they don't have, they have no physical cultural background. So I guess I'm, I'm, I'm still on the edge of that and I'm, I'm still hoping to learn better to be a more effective uh, medicine provider to, you know, get the, and of course I'll obviously use your book as often as I can to try to, you know, build a fire under people, but it is, it seems to be one of the, Real bug bears, at least in terms of my experience in terms of, for people particularly who've had very little or almost no experience, you know, getting off the couch. So it's and that's particularly true
1: for women. Um right. because girls were not encouraged to do sports right. way back when, uh, before Title Nine. So um we, women a lot of women uh not so much girls now teenagers right. now but right. Right. um women older than that you know grew up without being encouraged to exercise
0: right so okay, so now this i want to circle back to their early in the in the book you talk about old people and about how um let's see if I can find it there's something that I want to go to it's but it's 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 basically the you, you you tell the story about how old people fit into the meaning of life, kind of. You say that, and I'm not going to do this perfectly, but you say that the the advantage, I mean, there's no point in living beyond our oh. reproductive age, but but old people actually have a function. And I guess here on a, on a spirit level, this is the part that often the, the, the people, the older people I know that are grandparents and that kind of thing, they come in and some of them have a sense of they still have a purpose in life, but a lot of them really don't. Or they don't feel like they have some uh, justification for taking up space. And I think you write about it in terms of space and using resources and that kind of thing. So say a little bit about what what you write about in terms of how important actually old people really can be.
1: Uh, yeah it's it's sort of called the grandmother effect yes. and and it it doesn't have to do it, it's really biological not not spiritual but mm-hmm. when you think about evolutionary biology, a number of species, including humans and actually elephants and whales, um, you wonder well why do they keep uh, why do we keep postmenopausal menopausal uh, post-reproductive females around? Because once you've passed on your genes, evolutionarily, you would think that was your whole mission. Um, but it turns out that grandmothers and grandfathers um, have a value to the whole tribe, to the whole family, because in the case of elephants, uh, say, they they remember uh, where watering holes were, and that's useful in a time of drought or, or old whales can be member of sources of food when uh, the younger animals wouldn't know where to go and with humans uh, of course we have older people tend to often have money that helps their kids and grandkids survive right. but the idea is basically that um, by helping your grandchildren you're actually helping your own DNA kind of flow down through the generations mm-hmm. so there is um, you know there is an argument that uh, there's an evolutionary advantage for the tribe uh, for the um, for older people to be
0: around well and, and 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 it would be nice for them to some a lot of older people for really them to feel it and to know that because that does seem to be sort of a I you mean know, for the grandmothers they a lot of times they know it but a lot of the people who are not grandmothers they they don't seem to know it as well now exercise as medicine is a is a actually non profit initi- initiative uh, co-, co launched by the American College of sports Medicine in, in the early 2000s. so did you have any kind of um, um uh, what's the word I'm looking for um, uh, trouble trouble with the name I mean was there any, any problem in using that language
1: uh, no, they trademarked it, but Oxford University Press, my publisher, uh, came to an agreement with them that uh, it was fine to use the title. I mean, I knew about their program when I right. wrote the book. In fact, I mentioned it favorably in the book. Right. Uh, but yes, no, that's all resolved.
0: Oh, I'm sure, I was sure it was. I just, I, it just, it just, it just struck me that because we've we've been hearing the exercises medicine sort of story for some time now. Well, Judy, you've certainly have given us a lot to think about, and your book has given us our culture. Uh, a new textbook, a new manual to work with, and I, I do appreciate the, the book itself, and I do appreciate your time with us today.
1: Great, thank you very much.
0: Okay, take care. Okie doke Bye now. All right, bye-bye. So there we are. There it goes. And uh, it is an interesting book, and it's well-written, very, very well-written, and uh, this gal has a lot of experience, and she's done a lot of homework. So this is, and she's, and she's done it in the. This is the Oxford University Press, so it's a high, high kind of a high class text, and it's, uh, it's the it's the kind of book that can be very reliable, and so I neglected to mention that, judyforeman.com, is available uh, to you, and you can go look Judy Forman, Foreman, F-O-R-E-M-A-N, and you can also look up Exercises Medicine. You can go to her website. And she does have, and I, again, I regret neglecting to ask her to mention some of that before she left us. But she is available. She does have things on her website. She has a couple of other books. So if you do like her writing, uh, that's uh, there's more there for you. She talked about a book she'd written on pain, et cetera, et cetera. So it was a great pleasure to have Judith Judy with us today. So... Now, coming back to the coronavirus, uh, of course, we how can we get through a healthcare program and not talk about that? It does seem like um, that this is uh, getting bigger and bigger, and, uh, and anyone can 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 get a coronavirus infection. But young children are more likely to most likely to get infected in the United States. Infections are more common in fall and winter. What are the symptoms of the coronavirus? They're a runny nose, headache cough, sore throat, fever, just not feeling well overall. Some coronavirus cause severe symptoms. The infections may turn into bronchitis and pneumonia. There may be fever, which are quite high if you have pneumonia, cough with mucus, shortness of breath, chest pain, tightness when you breathe or cough. So how is the infection diagnosed? Uh, To make a diagnosis, your healthcare provider will take your medical history, do a physical exam, do a blood test, make sure. Do a lab test of sputum sampled from the throat swab and other respiratory specimens. And are there treatments for coronavirus? There are no specific treatments at the coronavirus infections. Most people will get better on their own. However, you can relieve your symptoms by taking over-the-counter medicines for pain and fever and cough. However, do not give aspirin to children and do not give cough medicine to children under four. Um, Using a room Humidifier or taking a hot shower may help ease, ease a sore throat and cough. Get plenty of rest, drink fluids. If you are worried about your symptoms, contract your healthcare provider. Can coronavirus infections be prevented? Right now, there aren't any vaccines to prevent human coronavirus infections, but you may be able to reduce your risk of getting and spreading the infection by washing your hands. We hear over and over, often with soap and water, at least 20 seconds. Soap and water are not available. The alcohol-based hand sanitizers with at least 60% alcohol. Avoiding touching your nose, face, and mouth with unwashed hands. Avoiding close contact with people who are sick. Cleaning and disinfecting surfaces that you frequently touch. Covering coughs and sneezes with a tissue. Staying home when you are sick. That's the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. So, that's the latest on coronavirus that seems to be becoming more and more a factor in our culture here. And um, I'm hoping that you'll stay well and that you'll follow the directions of your healthcare system. And I know they're trying to do their best to be of service to you. So thank you again for tuning in to Health Matters Radio today. It was a pleasure to have you. Please tune us in again next week if you have anything to want to share with me. I'm ksvyhealth at gmail.com, ksvyhealth at at gmail.com. Looking forward to being with you again next week. Until then, I bid you well.